music, and CD, the show where friends sit around and reminisce and listen to an album one track at a time and reflect on the music that shaped our lives. And our third chair is empty today for one episode, but fear not, friends. Fear not, friends. Our third chair will be filled back up in the next episode, but just due to scheduling and life and COVID being an asshole, it's just myself and one co-host instead of two co-hosts. And in the other chair across the pond, Diamond Dave Horrocks. Hello, Dave. Hey, Tony. It's good to speak to you again. Like you say, unfortunately, Max couldn't be here today, but it'll be good to have a natter about this one. And uh, I'm sure we've got plenty to say. And I do have Max's score as well. So of we'll course. go through that at the end when we're totting all the scores up and uh, we'll see where we land. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to do it. I mean, so this was my pick. Um, we, we missed a month again, but our goal is to get back on month to month. And hopefully, if things work out well, at the end of the year, we're going to give a bonus mandatory music and CD where we, the three of us, rank the guitarists that we've heard so far. And it was at the pick of this album that I thought, oh, we should do that because we're going to listen, as you see, as people are listening, people who have clicked on it because you saw the name of the album and the name of the band. Hello, welcome to Mandatory Music and C. We're going to do Guns N' Roses' debut album, 1987's Appetite for Fucking Destruction. So as we think about greatest guitars, there's like Slash. There's We've got things to say, as I'm sure as we will throughout the show, but I was like, God, we've covered some banging guitar players so far. So I thought it would be super fun at the end of this year or at some point to go through and like rank our top 10, uh, you know, rank our top 10. So, um, but Appetite for Destruction was recorded in, uh, for in, in six months in California um, from January 18th to June 23rd of 1987. And then it was released shortly thereafter. So it was a pretty quick turnaround, which is pretty crazy. It was released in July of 1987. Um, this album and um Beastie Boys, uh, License to Ill, were a big deal for me in eighth grade and ninth grade. Um, and that is my experience with this. My sister um, went and got this. She had the original cover of this on wax, which I'm sure if she still had, she could probably pay for pay off her house. Um, and so this was everywhere over here. I've actually never seen Appetite for Destruction. I actually have a story, or never seen Guns N' Roses. I actually have a pretty funny story about people in my class going to see Guns N' Roses and pissing me off. And it's a whole thing. But before I tell that quick story, Dave, what is your memory of Appetite for Destruction? So I'm older than you. So you were not in eighth grade when this came out. So that old <laughs> man, he's a real motherfucker, was not banging through your ears when you were at what right when this came out in 1987. But what is your recollection of this album? And have you ever seen them live? I haven't seen them live. Um, I did flirt with the idea. I'm sure they were they were touring with Metallica or something. I, I seem to remember uh, wanting to jump on that tour, but not really having that any disposable show, income at all. That was the show <laughs> when um, Hatfield's arm, he, Hatfield hurt his arm, and so they had yep. to cut their show short. This was the one That's in Toronto. One. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then instead of just coming out and playing an extra long set, they waited, and it was a huge riot. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was that yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was... So you didn't have any disposable income. They burnt up all their disposable income having to fix a building. Into a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I remember the singles from this coming out at the time and quite quite liking them. But I didn't get the album at the time. It was more when we're getting into kind of 90, 91. That I'm really starting to 
develop that taste for my own music. I'm, I'm sure I've spoken about this before, but I mean, in 91, I'm, I'm 15 then, and I'm really starting to, uh, you know, listen to the lyrics in the music and, and identify, you know, be, be that rebellist. Uh, in a very conformist type way by listening to heavy rock music. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to what everyone else is listening to. Exactly. Yeah. Here's me rebelling. But um, so embarrassingly, I, I got, well, I, I, probably before this, I got into the likes of Skid Row and uh, I was quite big into Iron Maiden as well at the time. But then it was when Use Your Illusion came out and I, I wanted to and I, I like them and people would always say oh you know it's, it's not as good as appetite and so i ended up getting a copy of it and i think because i'd heard like paradise city and sweet child of mine they're very radio friendly songs i'd heard those over and over again and i think i might have heard welcome to the jungle a couple of times you know while flicking around on mtv or something but when it starts off you know, and and it just absolutely. I, I won't say too much about that song, but it starts off and it just sets you up for the whole album. And I do have to say, you know, looking back, it is such a, a, a much much more stronger album than Use Your Illusion One and Two that my youth didn't allow me to quite see. So it must have been, I would say, it was probably about ninety two, ninety three time that I kind of got this copy and went back and started listening to this and then it just becomes part of your collection then or your rotation if you like and uh yeah it's never it's not one that i go years and years without listening through on again you know it's just one of those that i go back to all the time to be honest as you should and um well all of that is um that's all yeah that makes sense and it's funny because i remember when user illusion uh came out i was in college and um, university, as you guys would say. And um, I thought it was fine. Um, I thought it was too long. I was like, there's one good album. And I was like, oh, sacrilege, how dare you? Because again, it was like, there you, how dare you say anything bad against them? But then the punchline is, is those albums came out and broke the world. They made so much fucking money. Yeah. But then like six months later, late at night on Headbangers Ball on MTV, they played Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that came out at Headbangers Ball first. It was oh, not. Wow. Yeah, it was not on alternative rock. It was considered hard rock at first. And then um, and then that was that. And everybody was like, okay. And so then, you know, as we know, Guns N' Roses kind of fell apart. They kept falling apart. And eventually where it was like Axl Rose and Buckethead and then a bunch of people you'd never heard of. And, uh, and, and you know, Buckethead's no slouch. I'm not, I'm not going to say shit about his guitar playing, but he is not slash. They play differently. Buckethead's amazing. I'm not pretending. Mm -hmm. All you Bucketheads, listen, I'm saying he's amazing, but he's not Slash. <laughs> and it just didn't work. It never worked. This original five um, really only made the three albums together because they uh, Izzy left, which I think hurt the band, which we'll talk about. Um, they kicked Steve out because he couldn't quit doing the drugs. And uh, mm. which again is always funny. You're like, well, just we gotta, we're gonna kick one person out. I'm like, you guys are all still on the drugs. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. It's so crazy to me. But anyway, um, yeah, no, that all that all checks out. And again, I don't think you. I just couldn't ever get over this album, and I just thought, 
Use Revolution 1 and 2, there was one really great album in there and, and they were fine, but it was definitely sacrilege at the time. Say that. Here's the crazy thing about this, Dave. The first single for this, which was It's So Easy and Mr. Brownstone released together, came out in June of 1987. And then they released another fifth single in July of 1989. They wow. released five <laughs> slash six singles off one album over the course of two years, over two years long. That is some fucking legs. The only other, there's only a couple of other albums that are nothing like this that I can think of that did that. It was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill mm. and um, Hootie and the Bluffish. That first Hootie and the Bluffish album. They just kept releasing every song. They're just like, we'll just keep, this isn't a single, but people will keep letting it play on the radio. So I think both of those mm. had singles released, like were in the charts. This sold over 30 million records. It just never left the charts for years and years. So it's totally crazy. That's mad, isn't it? You know, we we were talking about Sabbath uh, a few months ago now, yeah. but you know, they 1970 they released two albums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they they were they were the other way. Right, they're right. like right. We've done that album. Let's, Let's do, do a new next one. one. Yeah, it is it is crazy to think though. It used to be you know pre there was just MTV and there was regular radio. The internet was either an infant like when Jagged Little Pill mm. came out, but like barely anybody had it, and so it's just such a thing. It's like, listen, if your album is selling, and I actually think. And and that was what the issue was for them because they did release GNR Lies, their like little um, EP mm, after this. Yep. But then it took a while to put User Illusion. To, it was like, you know, four years. And that's why. And that's why they had a double album because they're like, we spent 17, 18, 20 years, depending on how old they were, writing Appetite for Destruction. And now yeah. you're going to make us wait five years. So that's why they put out a double album. But that also, I think, hurt them too, where you're just like, let's. So it was like, we're in that weird spot where music record executives are making so much fucking money off records they're like nope we're just going to keep putting out singles people are going to keep buying singles we're getting all this radio play so it's just crazy to think and paradise city's like over six minutes long and it was on the radio yeah 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 i mean that's like and again not trying to compare the two but that's like hey jude right i mean most most things aren't that long yeah so anyway well, that's that. So you didn't see them. I didn't see them. But during my senior year in high school, so before, so like why they're still touring for this album, Use Your Illusion hadn't actually come out yet, but they were starting to mm -hmm. sing some of them. They were touring with the crew and there was the, they were playing in Chicago and it was the same weekend that I had somewhere to be. It was my um, orientation for my university. Uh, so I couldn't go and a bunch of people went. And so Anybody who was gone on that day, because they were like, gonna, everybody just skipped to go to go to the show because it was an all day mm -hmm. festival thing. Anybody who was gone that day was going to have to get was going to get in trouble. But I had already like prearranged. I couldn't go to the show. I had to go to this other thing. So there's this whole <laughs> thing with all these assholes in my senior, you know, like I'm getting in trouble. And I was like, literally, I could like bring stuff from my orientation. That's like, I wasn't at the show. I wasn't there. I would have been there, but I wasn't there. So anyway, <laughs> And by then, everybody who saw him said he sounded terrible because at that point they had not stopped touring for three straight years and he was just screaming. Wow. Yeah. It was them and the crew. That that would have been a show to see, wouldn't it? It was an all not, day. Not to rub it in even more, but. I know. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. I think that was when Tommy Lee still had, he and his drums would come up on the risers and he'd play Levitating. upside down. Yeah. 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 Motherfuckers. Anyway. Well, okay. So here we are. Let's go. And obviously, this is the this was uh, produced by Mike Klink. 
which is not a great sounding name, but he actually produced all their albums. He produced Slash's solo albums and some other kind of metal-y stuff. This is what he's most known for, though, is Guns N' Roses. Um, Guns N' Roses, the name came from Tracy Guns of LA Guns and Axl Rose were the original band. And then Tracy Guns left, started his own band, and they brought Slash in. So everybody wins, I guess, except for Tracy Guns. And Guns and <laughs> LA Guns was a fine, but come on. Um, yeah. So this this sem- this is the five. Axel on lead and singing. He played piano. Uh, Duff McKagan on bass. Slash on on uh, lead guitar. Steve Adler on drums. And Izzy Stradlin on rhythm guitar. And I will submit the best rhythm guitarist of the of this metal of the eighties. Um, and we'll talk about that as we go. He holds so many of these fucking songs together from going from going off track and i just think he compliments slash so well and so we'll talk about that so um and then when he left again i just feel like the band he did put out a great album with izzy stradlin and the juju hounds was the name of his uh little side blues side project it was him and the guys from georgia satellites it was actually very good nobody listened to it except for me and my cousin (laughs) um okay so are you ready to start yep let's go starting off Welcome to the motherfucking jungle. Written by all five members of the band. They all get credit for songwriting. There's a couple of songs that have an extra writer, but they all brought in ideas and wrote them together, which I think you can tell. Uh, coming in at four minutes and 34 seconds. Is this the best opening track we've we've heard so far, Dave Horrocks? I think it absolutely is. I think it's just... I, I was thinking before we started recording, I, I can't think, even though we've talked about some great albums and we've talked about some great openers i think for an opener for this album it is just absolutely perfect i just love that the the guitar sound that slash has straight away and he's got all that delay so you know when you're listening to that as a kid you're not really sure what the hell's going on that no just sounds yeah. weird you know but like I say it's all this delay that's happening and it, it just sounds brilliant and it doesn't surprise me actually that that all the band you know have a piece in writing this because again it feels like one of those songs to me like you're in the the rehearsal studio and you you're just you've got a germ of an idea and you're just working on it and especially the way it builds up and builds up at the at the start there and then it just kicks in you know, do 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 do. It's just absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I I love this song. I do not think you could improve on this. If you look across the entire uh, catalog of Guns and Roses tunes, to start off this album or to start off any album, I don't think you improve on Welcome to the Jungle. I I agree, and I mean, we talked about how Hotel California was such such an opener, and they're like. Mm. And your whole point was you put the best song first and now it's all downhill from there. Yeah. I don't, and it, you can argue this is their best song. You could definitely make that case, but because the other songs are also really good. Um, and like you said, it, because it's a, it's a group, it's a group writing songs as a group for a group, they all get their space. And Izzy, again, you're going to hear lots of love for Izzy Stradlin. He knows he's a rhythm guitarist. I mean, it's like Ron Wood. And you know, Brian Jones before him. You, when you know you're the rhythm guitarist, when you know that's your job, your job is to complement that. So you're literally not writing. 
yourself an amazing guitar lick. You're saying, how do I hold this together? How do I complement what my other guitarist is doing? How And sometimes do I play the same chords that the bass player's playing notes? They do that sometimes. Like he and Duff sound great together. So like Izzy is, is part of the rhythm section sometimes. And just yeah. like you said, that opening, that noise, when you realize what it is, is they're playing together. S- Slash and Izzy are playing together. And you're like, what is, that's just not what you're used to. Yeah. No, it, it is amazing. I do think they, they did lose a lot with Izzy going, like you say. Uh, and I guess, you know, they, they went through a few iterations, a few different band members and stuff, even before they made it big, didn't they? Yeah. And it, it is one of those bands, I guess, that just is forever tinkering. And so there's so many different iterations. But, I mean, for me, this is the classic lineup. And uh, like you say, the the way they all come together on this particular song, is just amazing and i don't know if i consider it the best song i I suppose should have really thought about that i just think it's the best opener it's the best Uh, opener it's amazing it tells you everything that you're about to get to this is this kind of band this is what the singer sounds like this is what our rhythm section can do listen to those fucking drums our bass player is going to be loud you're going to hear it now as a bass Mm. player you must love that yeah, I mean, again, I, I suppose I didn't. When you're younger and you're listening to it, I think your ears more naturally gravitate. When you're listening, you're actively listening to the vocals and the lead guitar. That that's what comes across the most. You don't even, unless you switch your brain, or or this is the way it works for me, and you switch your brain and start listening for the drums. And then you you try listening for the bass as well. Like it's an active thing where you're you're making a choice about trying to listen to that. But like say for me when I was younger, my my brain just went to the lead guitar and lead vocals. To be honest, but you know, going through the years, it it is great because he has quite a lot of top ends, so it's a real. And he plays with the pick as well, so it always sounds like more aggressive and and uh, yeah, it does. I think you you involuntarily dance if you like, you know, or mosh to the bass and the drums. Right. That's what you do. So so you you you're listening to the vocals and the the lead guitar, but you're moving to to the bass and drums and Izzy. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it's it, it's a great point that you make that Duff because Duff plays with the pick and he plays down. He doesn't play up. Yeah, he's not picking the bass. He's like punk style, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's and and he's you know, you look at him, you believe yeah. he, he's he's an old Billy punk. Idol. Bit, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <basically, laughs> <isn't> he? <laughs> right. I'm sure he had lots of X albums. Duff McKagan, there's no doubt about that. And he did his fair share of the drugs as well. The (laughs) fact that these guys lived as long as, you know, that they're alive, Um, (laughs) you know, and we'll talk, I think as we get to the end too, because I, like you mentioned, this is such a band writing music together. And I think the two songs that are the weakest two songs are the two that have the outside one, the next one. And then the second, the last one, Um, my opinion, but I do think it is, it is interesting is as the band reiterates and then the sound changes and that like Mm. you lose Izzy and you lose Duff and then you lose Slash for a minute. And then it just becomes the Axel Rose show. It's like, well, maybe you're, you're just a screechy voice guy. Maybe you need a band. Like you're, you're not writing poetry. You're writing, Mm. you're writing music and you need you know, it, it, yeah, there's something to it being a collaborative effort. And I think it's just, 
this is just such a love letter to music too. And I know it's considered hard rock or metal or whatever, but there's so much going on. There's funk in here. There's punk in here. There's a power ballad, which we'll obviously get to later. And I know you're a power ballad guy. So <laughs> um, it's a great album. So anyway, Welcome to the Jungle. We agree. What a banger. So the second song is written. This is the one that has a co-writer, somebody called West Arkeen. Uh, three minutes and 21 seconds. It's so easy when everybody's trying to please me. The cringiest of all the lyrics on the whole album, <laughs> in my particular view. What do you think? Dave, but it's so easy. Do you like that one? Yeah. Oh, I, big sigh. <laughs> and and this is one where... I, so I still love it. I yeah. still love the song. Um, but you, oh, yeah, you're, listening, yeah. you're listening to it more with uh, an older head rather than just a, a teenager. And I, I'd say, you know, uh, thinking back to Use Your Illusion, I think the only reason I thought they were better is just that it was that moment in time and I remember in the record shop because we we all knew when it was coming out, and so you know you'd go in there, and then you you see it, and then it's it had a little uh, sticker on it about the language, but and then you're reading it, so it's, and it, and it's just like taking the piss about you know having to put this sticker on there because there's bad language on it and stuff, and just like oh yeah, stick it to the man, you know, yeah. and so it, it's just that juvenile part of me, I think that that just loved all of that and. Uh, it's it's funny to think back to but um yeah this one you know there's there's quite a bit of this album if you listen to the lyrics you, you sort of think if you just met these guys in the in the uh bar or whatever in the 80s you just think oh, a bunch of stoners or whatever <laughs> you just think you're a bunch of fucking losers um but you know it's axel singing like He's Bertie Big Bollocks, basically, <laughs> just going around doing whatever he wants, and he's the king of his town or whatever. And it, yeah, it is a little bit cringe, but I still think it's a great, great song. But it is funny listening to it with an, a slightly older head, and you know, just uh, it, it, it does seem slightly ridiculous. I agree. I totally agree. And I think, I mean, this this song. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it is. I looked at it from this perspective. There was a time when, you know, when you, I'm 12, 13, 14, I'm like, oh my God, this song. And then, you know, you get to the point where you're like, oh my God, that song. But now I'm pushing 50 and I'm like, oh, maybe it's more clever than I think it is. And that it's so easy when everybody's trying to please me. He's actually not thrilled about that. Like when you, when you really take a look, like it sounds awful. There's some really horrible language that is used in here regarding some of the other characters in the songs, but his argument is also like, well, everybody's trying to please me. Um, and so it's not what I want. It's what I have to do because I'm bored. And so um, I, I as listening to it for a million times in the last couple of months, I was like, Oh, maybe, you know, maybe there's some subtlety there. Probably not because he probably wrote it when he was 17. And like you said, he's, he thinks everybody's I'm, I'm awesome, but, <laughs> you know you could move like you could look at it through that lens but but uh you know so i think i i just see it as um i i'm not quite going to give him that credit i don't think you should <laughs> I, I, I think do, I'm i do i do think he is <laughs> bored slightly yeah, yeah. bored by it but but then there's there's that kind of humble brag about it as well or without the humble bit so yeah. you know I think even, you know, before they made it huge, before they launched into the stratosphere, you can imagine that, you know, 
playing around and stuff, they they would get women, you know, would throw themselves at them and stuff. So I, I just think any human being, if if you, you know, have something to excess, you're going to get a bit bored by it. And so I, I think it's it's a lot about that as well, just that, you know, he's bored and he, he's in this kind of routine as well. I, I don't think he's... Um, saying too much deep <laughs> no he's not i know he's not i know okay well it's a good it's a good thought though i was trying uh, it did make know, me think i got a second that's what i do sometimes i'm like what about this no i think he's awesome yeah. yeah all right well up next uh four minutes 26 seconds the last single from the album you're on the night train um dave you know what this song needs more fucking cowbell. This album yeah. has a shit ton of cowbell. <laughs> and Welcome to the Jungle has amazing cowbell, but this song starts with a fucking cowbell. I love it. Steve, this is Steve's song. And I like <laughs> I mean, they, it sounds like a train, right? I love that I love that it drives. It's not a it's, yeah. again, not super deep, but like this is what they missed when they got rid of Steve. This is his song. Yeah. So and listen to that. Duff's bass line. Yeah. Fuck, God, it's I just musically this song bangs. It is good. Um, I, and this was one of my favorites back in the day. And uh, I can't help but think of, you, you must have seen the the Saturday Night Live. Uh, I can't remember who Will Blue Ferrell Oyster Cult. Yeah, yeah, with. yeah. It was uh, Christopher Walken. It was for Don't Fear the Reaper. That was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's just got got the cowbell, and it's just hard not to think of that of when course. you listen to this one. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think it is a a really good song. I think the chorus kind of it's not as strong. I I don't. In fact, I don't think this song is as strong as the the previous two. But I really like the verse, like you say. I think the the way it builds up and everything, and then when it drops into the verse, it, it's a real driving song uh that, that gets you through there but when it gets to the when it gets to the kind of chorus i'm on a night train you know again it, it's kind of got a little bit of sing-along quality to it but yeah I, I just feel like it's not quite as strong as as the verse that came before it i agree i think musically this song is spectacular i think the lyrics get get it's 427 maybe if it were 325 mm, 315 I don't need all the night trains at the end. No, I'm trying. Just because yeah. you can, Axel, doesn't mean that you should. Um, but I think musically, this is just such a great. I, and again, this is comes. This comes to that what you were saying. Let's just come in with a German of an idea, and the and this is where the rhythm section is like. Let it. We got this. What's a song about a train? Watch what we can do. And I just think that was really. It really is. It, we are. We the listeners are rewarded for that. And again, like you said. When you're younger and you're not thinking about the rhythm section as much, now, I always love drummers. Like I wanted to, I played drums for half a minute, um, and so you know, I I always liked the drums. Um, obviously, he's no Tommy Lee. We're not going to pretend he's he's Alex, <laughs> Van, or, you know, he's Alex Van Halen, but he's he's a good drummer. He can push this band forward, and this is his uh, song to shine. So, but yeah, yeah lyrically. Um, all right, look at us cruising along. Another four. A lot of these songs you're gonna hear are really in that same sweet spot of like rock songs. 422, they're out to get me, which I feel is like the spiritual sequel to "It's So Easy." Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's just. Oh my god. 
it, I, I'd never made that connection. But again, I, I feel like the the music is so much stronger than the lyrics and the vocals. I think the um, <laughs> the the fact that it repeats over and over. Oh. And I, I think I, I might be a bit of a baddie here because when I think about this album, I, I put it right to the top. I, I think it is one of the best rock albums that, that's ever been. And it, it was so iconic for that s- split moment in time. Like you say, there, there was that period in the very late 80s where their star shone really brightly. And then... Nirvana and the whole Seattle grunge kind of uh, movement happened and and they they just dropped off and they they did as much themselves to contribute to that but this album I I think of so highly but I think this song is so run of the mill I I think it a, a really great great album this doesn't have to be on there um again you you can't help but when you're listening to Slash's guitar oh especially right you heard listen, it just as you were fading out yeah. oh my god yeah it it sounds so good but just as an overall song it, it just doesn't do anything for me this and what i realized as well is i did skip f- through i think a few of these <laughs> you know so and this is one to skip i get <laughs> yeah. it it this is, is it, it is definitely yeah it's just an add-on to it's so easy it's not as it's about the same thing lyrically musically they're nothing the same but like lyrically axel's just kind of saying the same thing you're like well you did it better up there i mean a little more cringy but but musically i just think out to get me is a boss and again that it you the balls to be like 18 seconds in here's a guitar solo take that mm, yeah <laughs> i mean there's very few Van Halen will do it, obviously. Guns N' Roses does it. Very few bands, even the Rolling Stones, don't do it. Mm. I mean, you know, they'll start with a lick, you know, and everything. Charlie Watts always said that I, I don't drive the band. Keith Keith conducts the band, mm. which is super weird for your lead guitarist to, to conduct the band. But but that's what that's what Charlie Watts always said. He's like, I follow his lead. He doesn't follow mine. I'm like, you're the drummer of the Rolling Stones, and you're saying, <laughs> but you hear how they'll start with Keith, but it's not like a full on guitar solo where this is like ah, the best member of our band. We're going to make sure we put his top hat on him and let him yeah. show. He's... And you guys get to claim it. He was born there. He was. I think he was born born in Stoke. Oh, Stoke. So, I don't know where that is. It sounds like you could just make that up and I would believe you. So, yeah, no, it's kind of... Um... It's almost on the border of the Northwest and the Midlands. So, you know, if you're in the Midlands, you might claim it. But if you're in the Northwest, you might claim it as well. Mm. Uh, Robbie Williams, also another one from Stoke. Really? Um, Yeah. So, you know, I mean, take that. They'd always get lumbered in with the Manchester crowd, even though, like say, Robbie was from Stoke, I think. Gary Barlow is from Frodsham, which is over more Liverpool way, really. But... um. Yeah, I, even I've forgotten, to be honest, because it, it was you who mentioned it. Or, was it you or Max? Max did, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, is he? Yeah, and yeah. So, He's yeah, got dual yeah. citizenship. Yeah, he was born there. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Well, anyway, I mean, it's good. We, we will share joint custody of Slash. There's there's well, plenty of him to go around. It's fair to say, if he'd have stayed in Stoke, he wouldn't. we wouldn't know who Slash was. I just think... Uh, 
I mean, I, I guess he could have made, uh, you know, he could have modeled his music on anything, but this kind of heavy rock sound, I, I think, you know, you, you, you've got the likes of Sabbath and, and Zeppelin, obviously, but they're, they're way in the, the rear view mirror. So, yeah, you know, in, in the late eighties, you, you think more stuff like the stone roses and, mm. Uh, I love that and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think he, he'd have ended up playing stuff like that, and it, it just wouldn't have been quite the same. Right. He had, and you know, and I, you know, I I don't hate the Smiths like people do. I love Johnny Marr. I think he's a fantastic yeah. guitarist. But yeah, I mean, I would rather. I'm glad Slash became Slash and not Johnny Marr. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 100%. We'll say that. Okay. So my favorite song is up next. Um. Oh, listen to that. So good. People. Three minutes and 46 seconds. <laughs> Mr. Fucker Brownstone. Un... Goosebumps every time I hear it. I love this song. This is my favorite song. A- Axel sings instead of screams. Yeah. That makes it... He he brings his voice down to meet where the music is. It's way down here. It's a bass-driven song, as you just heard. Listen to that. Ugh. God, and it's a story. It's obviously about drugs. Kids, don't yep. do drugs. Drugs are bad. That old man, he's a real motherfucker. Going to kick him out online. This was <laughs> on the radio over here, and it was the first song that got that I knew got bleeped. That they didn't, they didn't change the lyrics, like, or they would play right. motherfucker backwards. Like, for the longest time, if there was a song that swore on the radio edit, they would make them re-record it with a different word. Yeah. But this, they just were like that old man. He's a real, and that was it. And they just right. like they would like. Yeah, I don't know if they. I don't think it was bleeped. I think it was like played in reverse. Muffled or something. Yeah, yeah. This song, Dave, people in the world wish they wrote. I mean, there's so many musicians who are like, I wish I wrote fucking Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. It's so no, good. It's so good. I mean, uh, again, the, what I like about a lot of the songs on this album is the way they do start off in different ways. And the, the fact that you've got, it's almost like a voodoo child intro mm. you know uh with Jimi hendrix you got the wah playing away there but it's when it kind of kicks in so so you run through a little riff but then it drops into doom 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 and that we we haven't heard that kind of beat no at all no no hint of it in any of the previous songs so i think it's so so different it's a totally different time yeah. It's been a 4-4. Four, four, everything's 4-4 four, four on this album almost, except for this. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just a, rather than just the, like, say, your standard bass of all downstrokes and whatever. It's just, I, I like the way it plays and I like that beat, but it's got a very catchy kind of sing-along chorus as well to it as well, hasn't it? I mean, I mean, we, we talk about it being hard rock. I mean, it is... It is pop rock, really, isn't it? I'm I'm not talking in a Blink 182 kind of way, but I mean, it, it, they know what they're doing there in terms of writing what are going to be popular songs as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, right, um, they're writing songs. They wrote songs to make money. Yeah, they, they were like, "We are going to be the biggest band in the world. We're going to put this amazing album out." Like the Beatles were that way, right? I mean. That was John Lennon's whole thing is we're just going to be a band. This is our job. Yeah. We're going to take it. We're going to treat it like it's a fucking job. We're going to make really good songs. And yeah, yeah, we can hide Revolution 9 and shit on the album. But we're not going to release that <laughs> song. We're going to release fucking Love Me Do 
right? We're going to release shit. We're going to make even our fucky mess with your brain songs, you know, <laughs> Sergeant Pepper and Strawberry Fields. Those songs are still going to be really good. Yeah. And, 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 and that the songs they released are the songs they were like, these are good. These are professional musicians acting. Pro- I mean, yeah. Saying motherfucker and doing heroin, but they wrote songs. This is the skill set they have. And Mr. Brownstone is a top 25 song of all time. I'm going to say 25. So I don't pull a Chris Phelps top five of my five, <laughs> but as far as songs, it is so good. I, it's just, I, I lose when things are so good, you know, you like, you, you can't talk about them. I feel like everybody should just listen to Mr. Brownstone. It's so fucking good. I love this. Song. It is. It is amazing. I, I think it, such a well put together, polished song. And I, I'm not sure. Is it, is it a bridge or something, but the whole, you know, I used to do a little, a little, but, a little, a little wonder, wouldn't do. Yeah. you know, and so it just, again, it just changes a bit and then goes back into the, the regular song. And so, yeah, just this is definitely one of the standout. And I, I didn't realize they'd released so many singles off this album. So yeah. was this one a single as well? This was the first single. <laughs> oh, released... I think you said that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they released it, co-released it with It So Easy, like as a, as together as a song. See, but why I, would you do that? Why but you... I don't know if it was <laughs> It's So Easy and the Mr. Brownstone was the B-side uh... and, that, and that to get the motherfucker out there. But then that happens. Like, the, again, to keep going, the Beatles released Helter Skelter as a B-side to got you get you into my life. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because they're like, nobody wants Helter Skelter out there, but everybody wanted Helter Skelter out there. So that's my guess is that Mr. Brownstone was the B-side. It became such a big hit. It just became a radio hit, too. So they released mm-hmm. them simultaneously together. Yeah. But yeah. So, unbefuckingly And the one that most people heard, Welcome to the Jungle, was the one that came out in September of that year, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the one. And then, up, you know, and then obviously, uh, then they do Sweet Child, Paradise City, and Night Train. Again, mm-hmm. amazing that all those songs are on one album. Yeah. That's it is. It is. Stupid. And speaking of the longest song on the album, <laughs> six minutes and 40. And it's not bad, but listen to that, everybody. Talk about something t- now for something completely different. I mean, even got a hand clap. Yeah. Back to, I mean, all right. So the big question, Dave, is if you listen to that, you can hear Duff singing in the background on this one, like his deep. I like him. He, there's not a lot of harmonies. This this is one mm. of the few songs that has it. And I think Duff's actually a pretty good singer, and you hear him there. Yeah. Um, you know, Slash, I don't believe, sings. Slash just stands there and looks fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool as, as fuck. Oh that God, is my job. So fucking cool. I know. <laughs> my job is to stand here and play this. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So the big question is about this song in particular. Did Did it get overplayed and did you get sick of it? I think many people might say that it got overplayed. I cannot ever get enough of this i i just can't hear it enough times i and i just think even though i wasn't massively into guns and roses at the time even when this one came out it stood out for me because i was probably watching top of the pops or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah they they probably play two minutes of it but it was enough to kind of get a feel for what it was because i it feels like an age to me from watching that on top of the pops to actually really getting into music and then 
you know seeking them out and stuff like saying the more in the early 90s but yeah this one again this is the perfect rock pop song isn't it oh. i mean it's it's so great the way it starts off i mean it's your classic you know we'll start off with a clean guitar one distorted uh lead guitar but i really like the 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 change in the rhythms as well you know again i, I think it's not just a standard okay we've got our four chords together now or we've got a little riff let's make that song in three minutes and then we'll move on it does do some really interesting things and you know even just slashes opening uh, not really a, a, a sort of mini lead piece it's so distinctive isn't it in that intro i mean it, you could play that and Surely 90% of the people on the planet would know what it is. Or at and, least and then a song coming up, up, 100% of the people will know the opening riff of another yeah. song about to come up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, good, definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, what what can you say about it? I, I think in regards to the other song, I have, I have heard Mike Burton say, oh, it's, it's overplayed for me. Um, and I'm sure that is for him, but, you know, this not for me. Paradise no. City again. It, it just it's there's a reason the it, we we put it at the top. It listen. Here's the thing about it. It's it's it doesn't. Our prog rock friends who love prog rock, I bet you they love this song too because it's doing so much. It's not prog. Mm. I'm not listen prog. Listen, Matt, Mike, Max. I'm sorry. I'm not saying it's. <laughs> and by the way, Matt texted while we were recording. I haven't looked to see what it was. I'm sure he's like. Make sure you talk about prog rock today. So I did, yeah. Mr. Lloyd. <laughs> I haven't seen, I saw that you text. I haven't answered you yet. But uh, <laughs> but it does so many changes. Like you said, it changes. It's like a couple of different songs. And then when this fucking thing cranks up and the whistle plays and it's a different song and then it's yeah. a fucking banger, like a head banger. And then, and honestly, the, the Captain America has been torn apart. Yeah. That is brilliant lyric right that the lyrics of this song are good and then you get that guitar solo in the middle and it, then it comes back around and it's just a whirlwind of a song and yeah i can listen to it and then just listen to it again i mean these two songs back to get back to get back to back mr brownstone of paradise city that i just i just can't believe those two songs are in a row on an album and when you bought the album these were the last two songs of the G side. There wasn't sides A and B. It was side G and side R, side Guns and side Roses. So this, they weren't sides A and B. So on mm. the G side, which would have been A, but this these were the last two songs on that side of a record together. They definitely rewarded you. Yeah. No. It, uh, yeah. I, like I say, what can you say about this one? Just all those <laughs> changes. But what I was going to say is... Um, Captain America being referenced in a in a song before, way, way, way before it was popular to yeah. even acknowledge the fact that, that you like comic books. So I thought that that was kind of interesting to think back to because, you know, with, with some of the other songs, like say, you've got Out to Get Me and It's So Easy, where they're, they're trying to play this uh, hard vigilante out there, you know, gets all the women, your classic 80s. Basically, they want to be Lauren Avedon. They do. Uh, Who but... doesn't, though? <laughs> well, you're closer than most, uh, hey. to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> he owes me but, some um, money. Yeah. 
But yeah, it, it was not popular at this time at all to be into comic books. But I guess, you know, Captain America enough in the public consciousness to, to not probably a 19, to. as a nerd as a comic nerd in 1987 i will tell you no it was not right and the, and the, the the i mean at least not in my shitty little high school it was me and my cousin and three of our friends who read comic books but i would say to you the reason that line is so smart is because captain america has been torn apart he's a court he's he's a court jester with a broken heart that's really thoughtful you're like really commenting on Reagan's America too. 1987. I mean, so he wrote this in 86, like in the teeth of Reaganomics and all the bullshit and Thatcherism. I mean, that is a, and that's mm. pretty like Alan Moore probably stood up and clapped. Do you know what I mean? If he would be staying to do anything, but you know what I mean? Like, such a miserable bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think, so I just thought it was a really deep cut because again, cap the cap that we know, like of all of the characters that the MCU has done, for the people who now are, it's in the zeitgeist. Mm. He's the most comic, like the one like the comic. Yeah. You know, of the, in the MCU. And so he's just that guy. He is fucking the guy. He's the patriot. His heart is big and he believes in freedom and stuff. And so to watch the whole, like 1986, 1987, there was, there was a thing and it's still going. It's called the, um, oh, fuck. Now, of course, I can't think of what it is. There was a Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. And Whoopi Goldberg used to do um, live telethons to raise money for homelessness, comic relief. It's oh, called yeah, still yeah. an organization. Yep. Because there were that many homeless people. And they're still in Los Angeles where this where these, this was recorded, where this band is technically air quotes from. There's still a shit ton. Like, that was the whole thing of the last mayoral campaign. What are we going to do with the homeless population? Mm. And so it's like, so to me, that's, you know, Paradise City. If Paradise City is Los Angeles or... Reagan always said America is the shining city on a hill. That was Reagan's right. Why? I just think this is such in addition to just musically being almost perfect, it is lyrically really smart. That has made me think of it in, in a different way. Because to be honest, I, I can kind of, you know, you you sing along to the lyrics and stuff, but I, I never really thought about them as deep as that. But I'm gonna to have to go back and and read them now. And darn, and now you're gonna to have to listen to Paradise City again. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Sorry, I'm gonna make you do that. Oh, you, you know it's uh, it's the opening song on Rock of Ages as well. Yeah, it is. So I've got oh, I've got my um, taking the whole family. So taking all the kids to see Rock of Ages. They're Dude, doing like a farewell tour. That's good parenting. Who's, who's I, I love it. I love that too. <laughs> my God, I've never seen it live. Right, I mean, right. I, I think for a while Jack Black was in it in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Um, Chris Hardwick <laughs> was, did did a run too. I mean, there's some people who've shown up in Rock of Ages. That is quite a show. That is fun. When are you guys going? Uh, it's later this month, dude. So I can't wait. I can't wait. You'll have to tell me how it goes. I'm sure because one of your kids is particular as a musical theater lover. Yeah, and so she she loves it. I introduced her to the. Um... Uh, to the movie. That's how I uh, saw it. I saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so seen I, it I'd, se I'd seen it years ago. And then I was in Vegas and they had a whole Rock of Ages bit as well. And so that that was my favorite bar to go and, and mm. uh, sort of chill out to because they play all the all the music and everything. It was fantastic. And uh, yeah, so I completely forgot about that. But yeah, like I say, the start off with Paradise oh, City there. Such that, yeah. And again, perfect because that takes place there. It's supposed to be the whiskey. Yeah. What yeah. A, what a show. 
I, I people who don't like jukebox musicals, you're wrong. They can be done very well. Rock of Ages bangs. All right. So, so let's flip the record over. We're on to side R. The opening track is um, uh, maybe a love song. It's got a woman's name in it. Uh, three minutes and 39 seconds. Um, my Michelle. And so this one was always one that vexed me a little because I feel like I love this creepy opening, right? Listen mm. to those, listen to hit and the symbols, whatever. And it switches when the bottom drops out on this. I really like that. And I almost want it to be a horror. I think it's a horror song. And again, I spent too much time thinking about the lyrics. It's not a love song. It's a horror song. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Am I wrong? No, I, I think uh, you're on something there. I actually think that intro could be Black Sabbath. Ooh. I think it, the way it kind of is eerie and it, it just kind of builds up a bit. But to be honest, when the when the drums drop and it gets into the, the regular beat of the, the verse, I, I think it's almost a, a different song. You could chop yeah. off that intro and stick it on anything. Um, so, yeah, again, another interesting intro and, and kind of how it builds up a little bit there. I think I... I I don't know how I feel about this particular song. I think it's okay. It vexes. It's it's vexing. Yeah, I I think. First of all, I I think just the title it makes me think of uh, Michelle the the Beatles song. Michelle, my belle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I just don't think it's great. And I remember at the time being at school, like one of the lads there, he had a he had a girlfriend who was at a different school apparently, called Michelle, and he used to always say about, oh, I should sing this about my Michelle. It's like, listen, mate, she's not real, is she? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just she's your think, girlfriend from Canada. Yeah, I just think, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys say Scotland yeah. then? Was that how you guys handled that? Like over here, uh, the joke was always my girlfriend from Canada. So was your or Ireland? Because then she was on her own island, so you didn't, yeah, she could, you couldn't get to her. Because with Scotland, you could get there on by train pretty easily. So yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there was a go-to uh, place co- there. Play but... Country where a fake girl lived. Yeah, just just like a, a random place, probably, or uh, met on holiday or something. <laughs> She's in Leeds. You wouldn't know her. Yeah, you're like, yeah. okay, yep, I'm never going to go there. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a vexing song. It's it's. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, the change, whereas the changes in Paradise City are so good, the changes in this feel mm. weird, and that's why it's like it's a love song, but it isn't. But it's also is it a horror song? Is are, are you mentally abusing her? Is she mentally abusing you? I don't know. I'm I'm just. I'm I'm uncomfortable with this. It's again not bad musically. They're such a good band. What a good bunch of musicians. But yeah, mm. yeah. No, it's like I say I I knew going into the album, and and I've listened to this tons of times since we said we'd do it, and, yeah. and the fact that we've been blessed with with more time and and whatever. I still just can't make my mind up, and it, even when it starts, I think ah, oh, I don't like this song. Yeah. No, no, I don't like that first bit of the intro. I like that bit. But when it kicks in, I think, ah, oh, I don't like it. And then it gets into the song, and I'm like, oh, you know what? It's better than I remember. Right. But like, this happens every time. <laughs> you know what it is? And, so, and I yeah. think, too, this is, and again, I 
Izzy, there's no real lead in this, and Izzy drives like a wow, 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 and it's so that's that's him. That's not Slash. That's yeah. the rhythm guitarist pushing this song. It's not the bass player. It's it's and maybe that's it. It's what makes it a little different. I don't know. I know you could be like, wow, musically that's really good, but also I don't know what the fuck's going on, and I don't know if I like it or not. But it, I, the fact that you have to sit and think about it is something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, it gives you something to think about, which is a great transition to the next song. Three minutes and 50 seconds. More cowbell. Yeah. I got a fever, and the only thing that will cure it is more cowbell. Think about you. That Sweet Child thing, every time I forget, this actually comes before Sweet Child of Mine on the album. It was like, why yeah. do you say Sweet Child at the beginning of this song? What are we doing? <laughs> the thing about, I feel like Think About You is actually cast off parts from other songs. There's like, mm. and again, it's not bad. Again, even with my Michelle, it's not a bad song. But like, I think, I think Think About You is three parts or two parts from a different mm-hmm. song. Because you can hear some of the, some of the stuff that is in different songs on this album. It almost feels like. Like you said, they all showed up and they noodle around, they play, they came up with songs and the mm. cast offs became Think About You. I don't know. What do you think? Mike, crazy? Interesting. I think the, the the way it starts, really punchy. Think Things really strong there. I think when it drops into the verse, it is so generic and vanilla. It, it could just be anything. And, and I think it's, it's a really weak verse. But then when it gets into... The chorus. I, I actually, I used to love this song when, when I, you know, when I was younger, and, and I still really like it now. And I think it's just a very catchy chorus, but it's almost like they've taken a ballad and sped it up. Agreed. Yeah, like he wrote the lyrics for something. That's what I'm saying. It yeah. feels pieces and parts. Like he's got these yeah, lyrics, yeah. and they're like, "What do we do?" And they're like, "Well, I've got this part of this song, and." this part of this song and what if we just sped the tempo up or slowed this part down or whatever. Here was a Frankenstein song. We're not going to release it. We'll just stick it on the album. That's mm. what it feels like. It definitely feels like this was the last one. They're like, we need the 12th song. They're like, what do you got? I don't know. A bunch <laughs> of shit. Here's some duct tape and gum and let's stick it together. And here's, here's this song. Yeah. But I think the, the melody is weirdly, it's kind of sweet, but haunting as well. I think it, it, it obviously the the lyrics are very much a, a, a kind of um, a, you know it's a love song, but yeah, yeah. I I think the the way that the I'm trying to explain it now, just the vocal melody sits on top of the music and complements the music. I I think it is pretty smart, but again, I I just feel like it was probably originally slowed down. You know, mm. this could be something like I Remember You, couldn't it, by uh, oh, it could. Skid Row. You're right. Yeah, no, uh, I think that's because so... the lyrics, yeah, I really do think that Axel had some really good lyrics and they just didn't have the right music for it. You're right. Tonally, maybe this needs like a, one of those, uh, like when Tori Amos does covers of songs. Reimagining. She, yeah, yeah, She because she doesn't cover them, right. She reimagines. She could almost get songwriting credit, I think, on some mm. of the Tori Amos covers. Like, Her Smells Like Teen Spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, it's no. a it's a different song. The lyrics huh. don't change at all, but she plays it in that haunting Tori Amos way on the piano. Yeah, yeah. It's and she scares me a little. Like I think she's a witch. <laughs> I mean that really, really. Like there's something about her that I find both 
partially mesmerizing and also terrifying. Like sometimes mm-hmm. Tori Amos is on, I'm like, oh, I can't look away, but is she going to eat me? I don't know. She got, what, <laughs> what's going to happen? Um, but I, but, but her version, like she does, her voice is something special and there's and something angelic about it. I do. I think you're right. That a good re think about you needs a good reimagining. Yeah. But I think outside Rose's fans, I, I don't think many people will have ever heard this. Will mm, they? It's, it's probably it's true. one of those that, you have to have listened to the album. You're not just gonna. It's not an obscure single that that only a few people have heard. It, it it's down to the hardcore, I think. So, yeah, I think I think there is the potential of more of this song. But like you say, maybe it was one of those that they they just didn't quite know how to finish off, or or maybe it was exactly how they wanted it to be, and and we're just like misinterpreting we're, we're it. We're two it, wankers. Yeah, it yeah. Could be, that could totally be. Um, yeah, well, speaking of things that are, um, that we know it is exactly what they wanted it to be. The song, the most recognizable song in the world, 100% of people know this song. Listen to that, people. I, I can't play that out just yet. It's amazing, Dave. So good. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> it is not overplayed. You know how good this song is, Dave? It won Cheryl Crow a Grammy. Cheryl she Crow covered this for what? Oh like, wow! For what was it? Um, I mean, Adam Sandler, Big Daddy. Oh right, okay. And she won a Grammy for Best Female Vocalist for this song. Oh. It's so good that the cover won an award. <laughs> Listen to that. Slash is doing his thing. It's fucking flawless. And then Duff and Izzy are playing the same notes together. Mm. They're playing together. They're playing. There's a second lead happening over his lead with the rhythm guitarist and the bass player. And then they stop. They let Slash keep going. And then they like, and then you hear Duff kick the boom, boom. Yeah. Un-fucking-real. This song is so silly good. Again, up there with, I mean, I, I, and again, still my favorite song is still Mr. Brownstone, but Sweet Child of Mine is epic. Musically, it's epic. I think, you know what? this? So so this never used to be my favorite. Mm. I think I'd probably say used to be probably Paradise City, followed by Welcome to the Jungle, probably Mr. Brownstone, and then you might get Sweet Child of Mine. I, I think this was uh, different, but... Over the years, and I don't know if it's because it's replayed more and more, but but then, like you say, Mike's point of view is it's overplayed. But for me, it's had the opposite effect. It's made me love it even more mm. because you can be anywhere and you hear that opening guitar piece. I wouldn't even call it a riff. It's just like it's because it's a little lead bit. And I remember seeing an interview with Slash and he was saying that, he was just joking around, you know, like not not even really taking it seriously. And everyone was like, "Oh, what's that? Play play that again." And he he didn't even think it was a thing. Now I'm not sure how much I believe you, Slash, but um, we'll go you, with it. We'll go with it. You're you, <laughs> whatever you say, sir. Oh. So yeah, again, I 
when you have that perspective and you listen back to it, you can imagine someone like Duff because his bit is a little kind of bassy lead bit at the start yeah, as well. Amazing. And so, you know, you can just imagine them being in the room. And that's the problem when these bands get so big and they, they've got women, groupies, uh, you've got clingers on all, all trying to get your time and whatever. And then you're going off to do all these different parties or whatever. Those long and tough nights sometimes when you're, you're just trying to figure out where does this song go next or what, what, how do we write our next song or whatever? Those become less and less, I think. Because you're not so, hanging out, just the five yeah, of you aren't together, right? Yeah, exactly. So it all has to be kind of, you know, people writing individually and it's not that same kind of communal group writing that you get with those earlier albums. And um, yeah, I just think this this one is so good. And, and like I say, the, the reason it's replayed over and over is because it, it's so iconic and it, it's just a great, great song. And again, I just think it showcases all of the band really well because again, you you're gonna li- you're gonna gravitate initially, I think, to the vocals and the the lead pieces, but there's so much going on from every other member of the band. It is. It is such. It, I think you're. You totally nailed it. It is such a. And again, the best songs on here are the ones they all. They all get a chance to shine and to show off a little. And it actually, in in America, slashes this slashes in a Capital One commercial, and it's like Capital One has this thing. It's easier than whatever. Like getting a Capital One checking account is easy as whatever. And so it's so it's a band and they're doing guitar auditions and you see all these like people sitting around with their guitars and it says it's easier than and then you hear the riff before you see and they cut to the right. slash trying out for the band and the singer she's like stop you're in and he's like cool <laughs> and then he just plays over the end of the commercial and you're like yeah because and you see as soon as he starts playing like all the actors are just like i'm sure they're like shitting themselves they're like they're slash i'm in this commercial with slash i'm gonna pretend i'm gonna play guitar in the same room with slash that's dumb to even think about and and they, so then you didn't see go the- with uh <laughs> it's so easy then no <laughs> no, they didn't. I know that that would have been, but not 100% of all human beings know this riff. And it's just so good. And it's, it is, and I hear, I get what Mike's saying. And again, I guess because I have the attention span issues that I have, I don't get tired of stuff. Like, I, like, I'm like, okay, I'll listen to that again. All right, I'll listen to that again. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'll listen to that over and over. And I just, it, it becomes so enjoyable. Um, and it just becomes like I can kind of because I listen to music while I'm reading or writing. I'm like have music in the background. So I'm like writing my novels, listening to music with words. And I don't type the words, but they just become part of now. There are some I try like each each book gets its own soundtrack. Now, Guns N' Roses are actually, believe it or not, the book that's coming out at the end of the May. That girl, the lead, the lead girl in that is loves classic rock. And so Guns N' Roses is in the book. They talk, she talks about Guns N' Roses, and and mm. I listened to Guns N' Roses a lot while I was writing it. And um, and it, it this album it just kind of it just seeps in and you just kind of feel it like there's even a whole scene in there where she like where she remembers she and her dad arguing Dave versus Sammy and like having a Van Halen argument of who is the better so it's like I listen to a lot of Van Halen and so the music is just there so I think just for me I I doesn't I can't get old because it just it warms me up it warms my warms me to hear this yeah. child of mine over and over can't can't not like it yeah i think that's a good way to describe it it just warms you up 
like I say, anywhere that you are, you hear that, and and I can't, I can't hear the start of it and not finish it. <laughs> yeah, which we just did. Unfortunately, we had yeah. to. Yeah, no, I get it. And it's a six minute song, five fifty five. I mean, Paradise City is six forty six, but it's like they're no joke, man. All mm-hmm. right, so we got three songs to go, and I remember this will be interesting because when we started, when I picked this, Dave was like, "But those last three songs, I so I we're, we're about to find out." If I was fucking crazy. I love your crazy. It's the only punk song on the album. Listen to that. And there's an amazing acoustic version of it on the next album. Remember that? Mm. 316. You're fucking crazy, Dave. (laughs) All right. I like it. I like the acoustic version on the other album too, on Lies. That was a really mm. good one. What do you think? You know, when I set I set him up, you guys couldn't see his face. People, he made the face like, "Yep." <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't think it finishes very strongly. And I think the problem is for me, it's it just falls off a cliff. The album now after Sweet Child of Mine is so after good. after Sweet Child, yeah. yeah, absolute peak, and then drops right down you know because it's been a little bit lumpy like say things like my michelle out to get me it's so easy Uh, not my favorites i think they're a little bit middle of the road but then with your crazy i guess you know it is a punk song um and again uh, maybe if it was done by a punk band though you know it would sound different but when you know the the eq of all the instruments is the same as what you've listened to before mm. it's you're expecting rock you know and and it, it to be a little bit different and so yeah i just i, I just can't get on with this one it's totally fair that's totally fair i it, it it scratches my itch um it's the one where axel's voice when he's shrieky because that's the only i mean and again i'm not which album mine's almost a perfect song, but his voice gets a little pitchy sometimes. Um, mm. And that's why Mr. Brownstone's my favorite because it doesn't, because he brings it down where he should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not Prince, sir. You can't you can't <laughs> do what Prince can do. Like, you can't go that high and that low. You've got a range. You should stick to it. But he doesn't. And this song is the one where that pitchiness works. Like, his voice is the fifth instrument in this above all else you know what i mean yeah. so but i do and again that acoustic version on lies is super good i really dig the acoustic version of of your crazy too so um now the the other song that was co-written by somebody called chris weber not the basketball player um is called anything goes three minute and 25 seconds Tin, what shocks me about you not loving these last three is these are very bass heavy. We talked about mm. Duff being a punk. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this I one like that is... they loop Axel's voice at the beginning. I think that's a cool yeah. I think this one's better. So out of the last three, I think this is is better than You're Crazy. And I think it is. So I'll just let it ring out for a little bit longer. So I like the change, like right here. It's building up again. Oh, I know. (laughs) So good. I get what you're saying, but I mean, it's no... 
Sweet Child of Mine, but I just, that's so fun. It's having, it's yeah. such a fun song. No, I, I think like a say, fun yeah. song about sadomasochism. Sorry, everybody. If, yeah. if S&M is not your thing, then this is not a fun song. But it seems everybody's consensual in this. This is a very consensual sadomasochism yeah. song. So I, I think, again, it is. it's not down to the depths of some of the other songs, some of the other what I, what I think of filler songs. And like I say, the the change. I really like how it's it's up at a certain level. It feels like it's at a certain pace, and then when it just drops down, you know, it's almost reggae, isn't it? You mm. know, it almost kind of drops into that. It doesn't quite, but you know, I like how it drops down there, and then you know, builds up again. So, yeah, I don't don't particularly dislike this one. I, I just think when you put it up against some of the other songs that are just, you know, all Hall of Famers. You know, there, there must be five or six on this album. Yeah. And so you, you put Anything Goes up against those, and, and it just falls way, way short. And so that that's kind of just how I feel about it. It's not... I, I don't dislike it, and plenty of songs that we've covered, you know, it's like, oh, this is terrible. But, but no, I, I do like this one. It just... It's okay on this album. Sure. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But it is. It is a BDSM song. It's just so weird. <laughs> or like, I mean, but but the way that he's singing it, the lyric, like lyrically, it's bizarre. Um, but I it is very of its not of its time. Because like if you go back to the it's so easy, you know, because I'm that whole line about, you know, turn around, bitch, I got some use for you. Yeah. That's bad. And then this song is like my way, your way, anything goes tonight. Um, you know, tied up, tied down, up against the wall, be my rubber made baby, and we can do it all. You're like, damn, okay, let's go have some fun. <laughs> so I mean, whatever your kink is, this song is about that. And um I do think it, you can tell you can tell this is what I was saying earlier, like with it's so easy in this, where there's the other writer, you can tell there's just something different, and and that's mm. it. I think I like this much better than I like it so easy. Um, but again, it's an interesting companion piece to that because it's about mm-hmm. the same thing, but it's yeah, in a different yeah. way. Like it's so easy. It's like, I'm just banging everybody and everybody's giving me drugs and drinks or whatever, because I can't and I'm bored where this is like, let's go like this. This is bizarrely an interesting love song. Like it is an, mm. it is a, an anthem for like respect and safe sex. It, it's so weird. It's such a weird song <laughs> because it's not that it's not like, you know, Stelton Tepp and George Michael, who are like, we're just going to put it right in the lyrics and mm. tell you what it is. This is a little subversive. And if you're 14 and you're listening to it, you don't get it. But then when you're an adult, you're like, oh, very progressive yeah. of you, Axel. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Um, and I just think he shows off his lyric ability in there a little bit, like how quickly he can sing. Not his lyrics, mm. but his, his vocal ability. Yeah. Um, all right. So the last song, which is probably four minutes too long, but it's still, I think, a good song in there. <laughs> Listen to that. This is why I don't get it. Listen to that, that opening. Yeah, that, I that thought, is a good stuff. When I picked it, I'm like, Dave's going to love rocking. Because it's, listen, it's like a heartbeat. But it goes on too long at the end, probably. Yeah. I mean, not probably. So totally. this this intro is great. Again, ah. I just leave this to ring out for a bit. I, I love the way this builds up. Oh. 
Whoever mixed it, I don't know if Clink did his own mixing, but the mixing on that song deserves a fucking Grammy. Because you mixed Slash's guitar underneath Duff's bass. Mm. And you mixed it under it. Like, it's under it, and it's supporting it. They switched positions for the first minute mm. of that song. And it is, it doesn't overpower, nothing's overpowering. Mm-hmm. It's a bass-driven song, which is fine. I mean, that's what Primus does, right? There are bands that are mm. Red Hot Chili Peppers. There are bands that are bass-driven bands, and that's fine. Yeah. And they, but even then, sometimes, like you know, the guitarist in those bands gets to do something. This is Slash's band. Let's all call mm. it. Axa would be sad to say that, but the star of the fucking band is Slash. Period. End of discussion. And yet, he's such a team player, and he's part of this band, and he hears mm. that his guitar can support this amazing opening riff. And I just think the mixer mm. nailed it. And I don't know if it was their choice as a band when they wrote it, or if Clink is like, Hey, let's try this out. And the mixer had them hear it. And they're like, Oh my God, that sounds great. Um, I don't know. I just think technically the first two and a half minutes of this song is great. And then it gets a little samey. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think this kind of atmospheric, guitar playing is is really axel axel's slashes um strong point but it, not, it sure. does work well here mm-hmm. um but i do think I, i'm sure we'll get onto other albums where i think that they, they nail the atmospheric side a little bit more mm, sure I think sure slashes sure. absolutely that pro- he needs to be prominent and you know the the tone that he gets out of his guitar is just amazing. So, I, but on on this again, I, I appreciate that it's a different intro again. You know, it's just a different style. Uh, you know, it's starting with drums on its own, then you you're adding in that bass riff, you're adding in the atmospheric guitar, and then again, it usually you know bang, and then you're going into the oh. the kind of ver- verse. So. Yeah, no, I, I quite like this song as well. Um, I, I just, again, I uh, I look at the title and I think Queen's Killer Queen for some reason. Sure, and so, nothing like that <laughs> at all. I instantly <laughs> add add my own uh, Rocket Queen lyrics to Killer Queen, uh, and Jeez, then I, the I come back and <laughs> exactly wow, that's what it, that okay. goes through my head every time when I see the, <laughs> the, the title. Oh. Um, but no, very very different song, and and I think I like the the effects. They again, you talk about the mixing and the the production. They they kind of mix and play around with Axel's voice a little bit. Mm. And again, I, I don't think that's necessarily it doesn't show off his strengths. You know, no, I think when no, he no. when he is uh, probably going for it. You know, that's that's when he's uh, his strongest, isn't it? And. You know things like "Sweet Child of Mine," "Paradise City." I would probably argue is is the one, and and "Welcome to the Jungle." Maybe you know they they really showcase his lyrics, uh, his voice. Sorry, and then um, this one. Yeah, I like the fact they've done something a little bit different, and I I do quite like the uh, the chorus. But um, yeah, again, I, I'd say the same as anything goes. Actually, I'd say that on its own, you know, it's a decent song and you know you stick that on another album and it'd be a great song potentially i just think yeah. on this album it it's just... in the wrong spot we talked about it with yeah. california if you rearrange it like if you made mm. if you put paradise city last on side one and 
Sweet Child of Mine, Last Inside 2, I think you like the album differently. I think it's hard when you're listening to it the way we're listening to it, the way it was designed. This is we, we That's the thing about the show. We want to listen mm. to it the way they wanted us to hear it. They wanted it in this order. It was produced. It was put in this order. And you're right. It does hurt those last three songs. But it also, knowing Sweet Child of Mine was going to be a single, it also makes it seem even better, you know, sticking it where it is. Mm. Um, but um, I hear it's just look and the 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 covers both covers the original cover which was um uh too explicit um and was taken down and then the this reissue cover with the with the cross and their faces as skulls yeah either way you look at it it's it's one of those things like you used to work at blockbuster and so you mm-hmm. you know how sometimes there's something that's just odd. you're like what is that i need to know what yeah. that is like what's on that cover what it's an art it's literally art both of them for different reasons are and I'm, we're not going to get into the graphics of that first record cover you can find it the internet is mm. free but the the one that everybody knows of the crosses with all their faces where it's like it's izzy axel slash and then yeah. duff and steve or steve on the left and duff on the right um it's it's pretty cool it's like iconic like if you didn't know what they were and it says guns and roses appetite for destruction and there's these skulls on a cross and these weird hats and here you're like what the fuck is this gimme gimme um i need to at least check it out so this is when they knew what they were selling and you know this was like on albums would be fucking huge you'd be this big like poster thing so it's pretty iconic i have to say yeah like if you left that laying around wouldn't your boy be like what is that and your girls probably too but i mean you know it's definitely like they knew who they were appealing to with both covers they're like let's make sure teenage boys want to pick this up yes definitely and and i think i i do remember that um from from school people having it and stuff but uh you know until you mentioned it that that was just a dormant memory that i'd kind of forgotten I, I you know to me i've seen this album cover for so many years now this, this is just the album cover for me mm. and like i say because i didn't jump on it in the year that it came out i think maybe that and, and the fact that when i did get a copy it was just a cassette copy so sure <laughs> i had no album cover to to look at at all so yeah um but no i, I think it's iconic and, and again a great it's a great album cover but also for me it just you know if you were a music historian or something well how could you be a historian without knowing this album cover you what could, i want to say yeah. is you're an alien from the future <laughs> you can yeah you can place it in the 80s sure you know because there yeah. were so many other metal album covers yeah. that, that were just like that no it says like say when i think of this album i do think of one of the all-time great albums that that's ever been made for us <laughs> yeah for sure yeah well so that was it everybody we're through it the rocket has queened and it is now time for our scores and so i'll remind you what the scores are and then dave will read out max's and then i'll give mine and then dave will finish this off so if you think it is the greatest album in the history of albums you send it to paradise city oddly enough and that is why i picked it because well if you think it's the worst you send it to hotel california not because the album's bad but because you can check out any time between every week so i wanted to go to that one. if you think it's really good but it's not perfect it it goes to doctor it hangs out with dr feel good if you think it's fine it's it's good but it's not great it spends time with robert johnson and or bon jovi at the crossroads if you think eh 
It's the Foo Fighters. You send it to Skid Row. And uh, again, if you think it's the worst, send it to Hotel California. So Dave spoke to our good friend Max, who couldn't join us. So what Dave is about to reveal Max's score. The drum roll, please. <laughs> Go on, Steve. Um, so probably unsurprisingly, because uh, we know Max loves this album, <laughs> this one is going straight to Paradise City. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I knew. I knew as soon. I mean, he told me that as soon as I picked it. He's like, well, I know where that's going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, did he share any thoughts or did he just gave his ranking? Unfortunately, it was a flying okay. uh, yeah. message. So. He's got a lot going on. That's all right. All right. Well, so I, too, am going to send it to Paradise City. It is – there's there's something about this the, – the again, if I were to ever pick – just spoiler alert – if and when I pick Beastie Boys License to Ill, it will also go to Paradise City, even though there are some problematic lyrics. There's something about getting it at the time that I got it, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know um, – this came out in the summer between those two for me. It came out in 1987. So it came out in June of 1987. My, um, I started uh, high school in August, September of 1987. So I just finished eighth grade um, and Beastie Boys License to Ill came out. And then this came out. And those two albums informed a lot of my life. Um, and and they, they do things that I like in a different way. You know, like they gave, so this, so there's a lot of those memories, but and I know there are some problematic lyrics here, um, but I just think listening to it again and thinking about the way this came together, produced, mixed, songwriting, it's these are five dudes. This is just you're never going to capture this again. And and we see as Guns N' Roses has gone on through the different iterations, and now the big three the, of the of their you know Duff Slash and Axel are all back in the band. And I'm sure that makes for a good live show, but I've not heard them really make anything this good ever since. So they, you don't want to say you peaked at your first album, but like they did. Um, they made some other really good albums. This is a damn near perfect album. And again, it washes me with nostalgia. I, I, I challenge anyone to say Slash is a bad guitarist. If you said that, you're just being a contrarian dick. Yeah. <laughs> say what you will about his kind of music. You may not like what he's doing, but for you to say Slash isn't any good, that's just you you are just objectively that's false. Like I don't like Rush. I'm here to say I don't like Rush. But Neil Pert is seriously one of the top five rock drummers of all time. All time. I just don't like Rush as a band, but musically, Neil Pert is fucking God. So I'm not gonna you know what I mean? It's like one of those things. So I'm Ah, Slash. What a band. What an Okay, Dave, <laughs> finish this off, my friend. I am going to be a bit of a see you next Tuesday here, I think, because no. I love this album. And I just think that the high highs are higher than probably any album we've covered. Mm. So if I, if I look at the previous albums, you take Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, Welcome to the Jungle, I would say Mr. Brownstone as well. So you take those four songs, or at least three out of those four are probably better than than 99% of, of what the previous That Sabbath were. album had that. Yeah. It's, right? They were, they were the same. There were four damn near perfect songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think because you've got... So Out to Get Me... 
my Michelle, um, you're crazy. And then kind of anything goes and Rocket Queen. For me, these are all a little bit middle of the road. And so that drags it down for me. And I think about, okay, if I think what is a perfect album for me, and again, this is this is completely subjective stuff, but it's, it, it, so it's for me, there are just too many that I kind of want to skip past. Sure. And, you know, I think if there was one of those, I think it, it could still make its Paradise City. But I'm going to say this is halfway between Paradise City and Dr. Feelgood. All right. That's totally I think fair. The, the, the That's fact still that, pretty high, Dave. Well, I mean, I, no, you know. no. But I, I kind of, when, when my emotional reaction, you know, when, it, when I think about this album, I think about it being one of the greatest albums ever made. And I want to give it the top score. Sure. But getting through it, like I say, there's just too many that I just want to skip past. Mm. And so I, I think for that, I can't give it the top score when I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't like this one. And like I say, when, when you get past Sweet Child of Mine, it's like, all right, I've got to plow through and get to the end of the album now. Whereas I kind of I feel like something that I send to the top has to be everyone or I'll forgive one. One is a gimme, you know, has to be a great song or a great song within the context of that album. Totally fair. That's totally fair. I don't, I mean, I think that's still a pretty, you're still giving it a 4.5, Dave. It's not like you're like, no, no, I've I've not done a Chris Phelps. I've not put it to uh, Skid Row or anything. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Oh, Chris. I like that. He just has his own, adjectives and adverbs and <laughs> everything that's just about him well this was a delight so next up in a month's time hopefully in a month's time from now you'll be hearing us back and with max back in the third chair and it's dave's pick it is and so i have gone for around about the same time now i should have looked up which year exactly but it, it feels kind of 87 ish 87 88 i would guess but it's gonna be the real thing by faith no more and again, I think just I, I it's going to test my um, theory about because again emotionally I put it in the same place as appetite. So going back and listening to it and being you know critically thinking about it, not just like like say passively listening to it, that that will uh, see will will I have it. Around about the same would be a bit higher, would be a bit lower. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I'm excited. So this, I just did a quick look. This actually came out in June of '89, and so the Lat Night mm. Train was released as a single in June of in July of '89. So it feels like they crossed over because even though this was two years later, they, their first album came out in '87. Introduce yourself. Mm. So this will be fun. I am um, Mike Patton. What a performer. So uh, oh, I'm sure we'll have some, some talking about him. Um, nice. Um, so for people who who are keen to um, hear us talk about Faith No More is the Real Thing, tune in in a month, and we'll be back to talk about that. Um, it'll be fun just to categorize what the fuck Faith No More is. Are they a rock band? Yeah. <laughs> are they a punk band? Are they a noise punk? band? Are they fun- There's a lot. They get funky. 
Um, later on, if I recall, they actually put out an album and it was called the Album of the Year, which I always thought was the most clever <laughs> yeah. title ever. They're like, yep, this is the Album of the Year. Amazing. Um, and then that spinoff project, Mr. Bungle, we'll have lots of fun to talk about. With, uh, yeah, with I Faith think no Mr. Bungle was before Faith No More. I oh, was it think. before? Oh, okay. I, okay. I, I, no, I'd have to check. I, I think, you, you know, again, when you're not fact-checking things that yeah, you yeah. discussed in college, <laughs> you should you probably go. You there was yeah. no internet. You just heard it to be true. Yeah. Like Frank Frank Dukes, we, we uh, so Chris <laughs> and Spider-Dan and I were discussing him. And if I go back to my college years, Frank Dukes was a, a legend at the time. Because he and told us he realized, was. Yeah, exactly. You realize he was just utterly full of shit. But what I would say is, despite my uh, protestations about not giving it the high score there, if I look how that ranks oh. all of our albums, then it actually puts it at the top. Because you gave it a 4.5 and I gave the one just a 4. You're right. Yeah. Wow. It's all me. So I'm the one who screwed it up for everybody. No, no, no. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I can't really argue with that as well. So slightly I mean, better than Paranoid. The, yeah. Yeah. At, at the scoring now, so we've got Appetite for Destruction by Guns and Roses at one. We have Paranoid by Sabbath at number two. We have Master of Puppets by Metallica at number three. Skid Row, Skid Row, number four, and number five. <laughs> Pornography graffiti by extreme i kind of feel yeah. like that's maybe uh punching above its weight at the moment but we've only done the 10 so yeah yeah well it's okay yeah, and then like you said we'll try to do a few more if we can get five more in this year then we can we can rank uh we'll pick our top our individual top 10 guitarists from our list or top five and we'll just have a show talking about how we ranked the guitarists because we'll, you know mm -hmm. um it'll be interesting so well, I'm excited about Faith No More. Um, I, I have fond memories of this album coming out while I was in high school. So, um, you know, I love music that makes you feel things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> boy, this did. So, um, all right. Well, if you want to get in touch with the show, um, at mandatorymusiccd at gmail.com. Do we still have a Twitter? At mandatorymusiccd. Mandatory CD. Mandatory CD on Twitter. <laughs> That's where we are. Listen. This is fun. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this is this is something. If we could just get paid to sit around and talk about music, we would do one of these once a week. But we don't. And Dave's already got two <laughs> week, one weekly show and a daily show. So um, I've got time off for good behavior for that one. So oh, what's I, the, I'm really? enjoying. Well, we the reality cast. So Chris and Dave's reality cast. We we done. We reckoned about almost seven months straight. So from about October last year to May uh, this uh, no sorry uh, April of this year, uh, just doing almost daily with a little little bit of time off in Christmas, and so we're we're, we're two a week at the moment for that one. So that's okay. enough. I like how you still say that's time <laughs> off. You're still doing two a week, but yeah, I know it's ridiculous in it, but it, it still feels like a break, <laughs> and it's still fun. And that's your highest rated show. Most people listen to that show than anything else combined. Yeah, so that's amazing. That's awesome. And you guys, listen, you found your you, podcasting is a niche. That's what we know, and we us going. I think this is a niche thing. I mean, we see our numbers on this. It's up and down. The lowest one was my pick. 
um, I'll kill her no oh, really? but still, yeah, but still like n- l- number of downloads, but still, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Well, they're listening. People want to do this. There's old people who like listening to albums. So well, anyway, so for Max, uh, who couldn't be here and for Dave, I'm Tony. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in a month where we are going to um, flop around like fish. See everybody <laughs> next time. Bye. Bye. Oh.